You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. A couple weeks ago, the Pulitzer Prize winners were announced, and among them was University of Michigan history professor Heather Ann Thompson. Thompson's book, Blood in the Water, examines the conditions that led to the Attica prison uprising of 1971 and the bloody massacre against the inmates that ensued. The prisoners were protesting deplorable living conditions at Attica. Are conditions any better in prisons now than they were 40 or 50 years ago? And how was the age of mass incarceration that followed Attica, how has it reshaped our communities over the past generation? Heather Ann Thompson was part of our first season of the podcast that we were doing, uh, Created Equal, which looks at inequality through the lens of history, how modern inequalities are shaped by history. You heard yesterday uh, a replay of that episode and Heather's contribution to that. She is in the studio today to talk more about her work. Heather Ann Thompson, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to today. be back. Yes. And of course, congratulations on not only Thank the you. Pulitzer, but it seems like every time I turn around right now, you are winning some really big prize for uh, this book, the Bancroft Prize. That's I saw right. that you well, got very, very grateful to That's say very as well. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is a mind-blowing work, I think, uh, in the sense that uh, what I really love about it is it takes this story that I think uh, most of us of a certain age at least have heard about and are familiar with, and it says everything you think about that story, everything you believe about that story is probably wrong. <laughs> this was not a prison riot is the way uh, it often gets described. It was not a riot. This was an uprising. This was a pushback against conditions that uh, that were inhumane uh, for the prisoners there and the the mischaracterization of what was happening during that riot was cast forward to uh, to adopt policies that have really changed the way that we think of prison reform of sentencing reform of all of these things uh, that surround the mass incarceration debate right now well, unfortunately, what uh, what I think the Attica story uh, reminded me, but I hope also reminds the readers, is that we have uh, such a faith in our criminal justice system, or at least so many voters do, and they just assume that what goes on behind bars and what goes on in courtrooms is justice. And then you peel away just a little bit of uh, the wall and you see inside and, and certainly redoing Attica's history uh, showed me that the story was not as we uh, had, had thought it was, but also, you know, reminded me and showed me that uh, prisons today are not what we think they are, nor is the justice system and, and both need a real overhaul and a real relook. Yeah. Uh, let's first talk about prisons. Uh, prisons in this country for a really long time, dating back to post Civil War, I think, uh, are are sort of not given the examination they should for the role that they've played in uh, uh, sustaining racial inequality in this in this country. And there's been a lot of recent work done to show that prisons really, in some ways, uh, replaced the plantation in in terms of their their function in in our society. Attica, I think, is sort of a, an apex, though of of uh, of that phenomenon and uh, a beginning of a pushback against it unfortunately though it leads us to something worse I, I i feel like today 
that's mm-hmm. not a that's not been ameliorated in in any significant way. Well, I think I think just going back to the first part of your point, I think that so many people just assume that the prison reflects uh, who's in prison, reflects who commits crimes, and reflects uh, who are the the wrongdoers in society. And so, the fact that American prisons have been so racially disproportionately filled with uh, people of color, I think has has uh, really sent the wrong message, uh, first of all, about who the wrongdoers are in our society. In fact, there is no uh, clear relationship between who's locked up always and who commits the crime. If that were the case, the, the inside would look very different. There would be, for example, many more white folks in there for the same uh, offenses uh, that black folks are in there for. But but it also um, is the case that um, everything that the prisoners in Attica pushed back on, um, both, by the way, black prisoners and white prisoners and Puerto Rican prisoners, uh, was this, you know, the, the institution that essentially uh, de- denied them very, very basic human rights. So that even if um, we concede that prisons should uh, lock people up or take them away, they weren't even questioning that. They were just simply saying, while I am in here serving my time, I need to have more than 63 cents a day to eat on. I need more than one square of toilet paper uh, to use a day. I need to be able to see my children. And you're right. I mean, they rebelled for that. It was a really remarkable human rights rebellion. But because the state retook that prison with such violence, uh, and then spun the story to the nation very differently, saying that, in fact, the prisoners were the violent ones. The prisoners had killed, uh, for example, the hostages, which they hadn't. It had been the state police that killed the hostages. We inherited a, a false myth, or a myth, about um, what had happened in, in Attica. And as a result of that, we just kept doing it more brutally yeah. so that today uh, prisons are worse, actually, than they were in 71. And very notably, last September on the anniversary of Attica, they began erupting again and, in fact, still are. Yeah. And and I think we as a society, I mean, these are public institutions. We pay for them. We put our faith in them. And the fact that we can't see what goes on inside of them in our name is really outrageous. I mean, all taxpayers and voters should be outraged by that. Yeah. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Heather Ann Thompson, professor of history at the University of Michigan, a Pulitzer Prize winning author of Blood in the Water, a recounting of the Attica prison uprising of 1971, and more importantly, the response to that prison uprising, the violent response in the prison in 1971 uh, to those prisoners pushing back against pretty deplorable conditions and the response of policymakers over the last 40 years to really change uh, the the criminal justice system in a way that has made the problems that were at President Attica worse. Prison conditions are worse, but also the way and the rate at which we incarcerate people, particularly people of color in this society, uh, is much, much worse. If you want to call and join the conversation, give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we will try to work your comments into the conversation. So, uh, yeah, I want to talk about the conversation about mass incarceration, which I feel like at least in the last five or ten years, we have gotten to a place where 
there's an urgency to that mm-hmm. conversation. You'd have policymakers now acknowledging some on the right, uh, more on the left still, I think, um, that we're doing something wrong, that we're not thinking about this in any sort of rational way. Why haven't we seen more change, though, uh, given the intensity of that conversation? At this well, point? this is where historical moment really matters. Uh, on the eve of the election, the recent presidential election, there was a real momentum, and it was really kind of extraordinary to watch. Um, I'm someone who's worked on this for you know, more than a decade now. And um, in that time, I watched uh, people not know anything about this or particularly were not particularly motivated to act on this to a real bipartisan movement to reform the justice system. And on the eve of the election, there was all kinds of reform afoot. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it just it, it, like a switch went off. Uh, we start to hear once again this rhetoric of law and order, this rhetoric that the police somehow aren't supported enough, that we need greater policing, even though, by the way, all of the evidence shows that the more intensified policing is, the more intensely incarcerated communities are, and in turn, the more they are traumatized, and in turn, more uh, violence ensues. I mean, this is like prohibition, right? We know history. We know that prohibition made places very violent. They didn't solve social... It did not solve social problems. So in a really crazy way, we were on the cusp of making perhaps some really profound changes, rolling back the drug laws, um, reducing sentences. And uh, and sadly, I think much of this is up in the air. On the community level, uh, folks are still mobilizing heavily for that. Um, and formerly incarcerated folks are really speaking out loudly about that. But, but what is happening at the federal level, um, it remains to be seen what kind of a chilling effect that has on the progress we were making. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the conversation. Let's go to Chris in Detroit. Chris, welcome to Detroit Today. Are you there? Chris? Yeah, I mean, we lost that, Chris. <laughs> okay, let's go to Chris in Rosedale Park. Chris, well, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, I was just wanting to ask Heather Ann Thompson about conditions um, in Michigan prisons? What do people in Michigan need to know about what's going on and how can people learn when all of this goes on behind not only closed doors, but very well locked closed doors? Uh, And uh, can I ask one other thing? I was um, wondering if she might talk about um, her life living in Detroit and how that may have influenced her research interest. Well, as as someone who grew up in Rosedale Park, I I really appreciate your question and your call. I mean, so first of all, I think that we cannot even begin to talk about the revitalization of Detroit until we take really seriously the devastation that uh, the war on crime and the war on drugs has, you know, has wrecked in Detroit. Um, You know, entire communities have been destroyed because of the high incarceration rates. You know, you've got one in 16 people incarcerated in some neighborhoods on the east side. Um, This is, or under correctional control, this is, this is crazy. And so we do need to start talking about how this has impacted Detroit. It was growing up in Detroit, really at that moment when the drug war is escalating. I saw it firsthand, of course, and probably that's what, you know, has always been in my mind as as sort of something to go back and revisit and kind of be 
to, to kind of understand where it all came from. Um, but but where those people end up, of course, is in our Michigan prisons, um, usually far away from the inner city, right, where people actually live. By the way, taking their census bodies out of Detroit and giving census power counting to... Counting them in, in other right, communities. That's right, counting them in Ionia or in Jackson or counting them in places where people these people don't actually live. So it's, it's a sucking sound coming out of Detroit of census population. Um, but the prisons themselves are horrific. I mean, they are severely overcrowded. And it was very important in September that there was this rebellion at Kinross Prison in Michigan that I've been trying to follow as closely as is possible when you are so locked out of uh, these facilities as a citizen. Um, And it's pretty clear that uh, it was the conditions that made uh, the guys inside erupt. By the way, conditions that the corrections officers agreed were horrendous and needed addressing. And, um, And the retaliation, just like at Attica, appears to have been swift and severe And um, what is really kind of amazing is that these are our children, our brothers, our fathers, locked up in these facilities and in other facilities, our mothers and our sisters and our daughters, and nobody is able to find out what their conditions are, what they are enduring inside. So uh, again, my my message to Michiganders is even if you think this this system is is just and should work and, and does work, um, it should still alarm you that it distorts our democracy in Michigan, and it's, it should still alarm you uh, that we have no access to what goes on inside. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Heather Ann Thompson about mass incarceration. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019. Chris and Wyandotte, we will get to you and the other folks who want to join the conversation. Pick up the phone and give us a call. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest right now is Heather Ann Thompson, a professor of history at the University of Michigan, recent Pulitzer Prize winner for her book, Blood in the Water, which is about the Attica prison uprising of 1971. We're talking about that uprising and the effects of it, the lasting effects of it over the last 40 years. What has changed inside prisons over that time and what has changed in terms of our criminal justice policy uh, generally in that time, the age of mass incarceration that emerges from the Attica prison uprising. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number. There's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDT Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work your comments into the conversation. Let's go to Chris in Wyandotte. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Heather. Thanks for taking my call. So I was listening to your conversation, and I realized I have no understanding of the legal or constitutional underpinnings of imprisonment in terms of what it's supposed to look like and what basic standards are supposed to be. Could you guys talk about that a little bit? I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, Heather, go ahead. Well, that's a great question, uh, because uh, (laughs) one of the reasons you don't know is the same reason most of us don't know. That is to say, this is a huge institution and apparatus out of sight, out of mind, 
very deliberately so. I mean, prisons are as far away from us as we can possibly make them. And the legal uh, the legal footing upon which they rest is ever-shifting. I mean, that's what's really interesting. So we assume that prison populations rise and fall based on the crime rate. But it turns out that it actually uh, is much more dependent on the political moment we live in. So uh, prisons are much more uh, dependent on policy shifts than they are actually uh, constitutional or legal shifts. Now, it is true that the more politically conservative we've gotten, we have passed much more punitive law, right? So that has much longer sentencing attendant to it. So prison populations tend to swell. By the way, we have many prisons now that are essentially old folks' homes, people who were convicted of a drug crime, for example, when they were 20, but get a life sentence. I mean, who takes care of them on the other end? Uh, You know, prisons are now old folks' homes. That is all law to be sure, but it is law that is dependent on the political whim of the moment. And that's why we should be nervous, because it means that what we're deciding is a crime changes in a decade, in a moment. Yeah. Uh, I should also say before uh, we get to the end of the show that we hope to work with Heather this summer uh, through a book club that we are starting through our podcast, Created Equal, which is about uh, modern inequality seen through the lens of history. And we're going to have more info in uh, coming months as the weather warms up and we get all that uh, together. But uh, this is a subject that I think is right in the center of our conversation that we're trying to have uh, on Created Equal. Uh, Heather, you also, I think, make the point uh, quite relevantly that this should be at the center of our discussion about rebirth here in Detroit, uh, the idea that uh, the city can come back. It, it really does need to account for all of this, uh, all of the problems that come from mass incarceration. That's right. And, and by the way, it also has should be front and center in all these discussions we're having about health care and all these discussions we're having about uh, revitalization. Uh, the reality is that when we look at cities that have been uh, destroyed or cities that have suffered mightily in the last 20 years, we can't understand what happened to them and therefore how to fix them without looking at uh law and policy related to the criminal justice system. Detroit uh, has been emptied out and destroyed by the war on crime and the war on drugs. I just can't say that strongly enough. So if we as mayors or city council members or just citizens of the city want to bring the city back, we have got to figure out how to do social problems differently, how to deal with mental illness differently, how to deal with drug addiction differently, and how, frankly, to deal with those many, many citizens returning home, right? Can they work? Can we give them jobs? Can they vote again? And so criminal justice is at the center of, by the way, our education system, our health care system. And it's kind of that that hydra. I mean, it, it touches everything at all times. And so to be more knowledgeable, I think, about mass incarceration means we are best, better uh, informed citizens on multiple uh, policy uh, debates we're having right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, let's go to John Paul and Harper Woods. Welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, yes. I was yeah. wondering if there's any reason why we couldn't pass laws allowing journalists to go into prisons and see all the conditions. Um, that's a great question, John Paul. Talk about 
access to prisons for, I mean, talk about uh, access to prisons for historians uh, or, or journalists. Why don't we see more of it's what incredible. happens inside? It's really, really incredible. Um, not just journalists who have a very difficult time getting in and historians, but let's talk about state senators or members of Congress or or uh, people who are uh, city council members. Um, the fact is, yes, we could demand that access. Uh, uh, prisons often are closed because they just say they need to be. They, they say they cite security. Security has become this blanket term that essentially allows people to do anything they want to do. Um, so yes, we should demand access. We should insist that the public, by the way, has access, uh, unannounced access. I mean, you should be able to be a senator or a journalist and certainly, you know, uh, you maybe let them know when you're knocking on the door what you want to know. But the door should always be open to the outside people who are trying to tell us what's going on in them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Andrew. Andrew in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Hey. Hey. What I was wondering is why are we locking tightly criminals up when... There's so much work to do here. There's so many things that need to be done. So many people that are probably locked up in the first place because they didn't have anything to do. Well, that's a wonderful, yeah. <laughs> that's a, deeply that's a very, insightful. <laughs> it's very simple, but very insightful at the same time. Uh, Be, it, but the answer is actually troubling. The answer is that, again, it goes back to this faith that somehow um, if there is a social problem, the best solution is to call the police. The best solution is to go to court. The best solution is to lock somebody up. When, in fact, we know, particularly middle class, upper middle class families with any sorts of resources know that if they have a child who's drug addicted or they have a mentally ill child or they have a child down the street who just stole a bike from them or maybe even broke into their home, that their first line of defense is not the criminal justice system. Their first line of the defense is to figure out how to get that kid help, how to figure out how to get that kid busy, employed, uh, imagining their own future bigger. So it's not that we don't know how to deal with this. We do it all the time. In communities with resources, we deal with social problems all the time, and we never deal with them in the criminal justice system. So we just need to, to do that for the entire society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you have any sort of optimistic outlook for criminal justice reform, do you feel like we're we're closer than we used to be? You know, I do, despite what I said about feeling very demoralized with this latest rhetoric we're hearing about the, the need for more policing and greater law and order. I am optimistic, but the reason is because on the ground, that is to say, uh, myriad community organizations in Detroit, but in every other city, um, and also, you know, the, the formerly incarcerated themselves, people just, people don't go away. I mean, yeah. what Attica reminds us is that you can lock someone up, you can treat them abysmally, you can take away everything they have, but they're a person. Right. And they will probably re-enter society at some point. Absolutely. And you have to think about what that re-entry looks like. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Heather Ann Thompson, professor of history at the University of Michigan, recent Pulitzer Prize winner for Blood in the Water. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so today. much. And we will talk to you soon with Perfect. regard to the Creative Equal Book Club. That's going to do it for me this week. I'll be back on Monday. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. See you next week.